to open up, Alex is going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 29. Mark chapter 6, verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John, this is John the Baptist, arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying, Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came and danced, she pleased Herod and the dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. And at once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths, And the dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent for an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So we hear that passage, Mark 6, 17 through 29, and it makes me ask you a question. How do you deal with endings that don't go the way you feel they're supposed to. I have to be honest, I don't do well with them, right? I I like a happy ending. I want a good ending, an ending that is fitting to the story or seems fitting to the story. When I was in seventh grade, we watched the movie Glory. You've never seen the movie Glory. It's about the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment during the Civil War. It was the first all-African-American regiment, uh, in the, in the, for the Union, anyway. And uh, the, the movie follows them as they are training together and learning to trust each other and they're uh, fighting with each other and they're protesting not being paid the same based on the color of their skin. And they, there's all these wonderful things and they're, they're building up to go fight who? Their oppressors, the Confederates who have been enslaving them. And you're thinking, man, as you're watching it go along, you're like, you can't wait for the battle so that they get them back, so that they win the victory. And I'm sitting there, I'm getting pumped up, like the movie's name is Glory, right? This is going to be a glorious battle. They're going to win. And this is history, so I don't really feel like I'm spoiling anything here, but that's not the way it goes at all. They suffer over a 50% casualty rate. 25% of them are dead at the end of this. And it ruined my whole day. And the next day, too, I sit there, I was like, that, that wasn't how that was supposed to go. They were supposed to win. They were, they were the ones who were in the right. They were the good guys. How did they all wind up like that? How did they lose that battle? I didn't like it at all. And then, as, uh, you know, I grew up, I realized that that happens a lot. The good guys don't win a lot of the time. And it, it can if you focus on that and you worry about that, it can really send you down, right? Like it can put you in a dark 
place. And that's how I react to things when they don't end the way I feel they should end. And if, when I read John the, about John the Baptist, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not how he should have died. Like, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest amongst men born of women. Like, he was the greatest. Like, this isn't an end fitting of the greatest. Jesus said John was Elijah. If you don't know who Elijah was, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. He was sent to call God's people to repentance. Elijah was not afraid to stand before the king and say, stop worshiping other gods. You need to repent. Even though he knew it, put his life on the line. And if you know how Elijah's story goes, at the end of it, he doesn't die. A chariot of fire comes down from heaven and picks him up and takes him to heaven. And it was prophesied that Elijah would come back to make way for the Lord. That before the day of the Lord came, Elijah would come back. And Jesus says that John the Baptist is Elijah. Not that he was reincarnated, but he fills that office. He is the prophet who has come to call God's people to repentance. To lead them to their Messiah. To make way for Him. You know what? John did that. John gave up everything for that. John lived out in the wilderness. He didn't get married. He didn't have riches. He was in animal skins, eating locusts and honey in order to be obedient to God's call on his life. And yet when we open up this passage here, where is John? John the Baptist is in Herod's prison because he was doing what God had called him to do. That's not the way we would write an end to the story of the greatest man who had lived it. Right? We, we would write a story that was much more glorious than that. And yet here is John in Herod's prison. And why was he there? Because he was calling Herod out on his sin. What Herod had done was despicable. He had divorced his own wife who, by the way, this is going to come back to bite him because she was the daughter of a, a neighboring ruler and there's going to be a war that a lot of people think is over this, essentially. But he has divorced her, and not just for any other woman, his brother's wife. Like That's low, man. That's really low. You took your brother's wife. And he's not dead, by the way. The brother's still alive. All right? His brother was also named Herod. All these guys were named Herod. In case you were wondering. All right. And this isn't the same Herod that uh, when Jesus was born, that was this Herod's father. Like I said, they were all named Herod. They went by their nicknames. Uh, <clears throat> but Herod, is a, he's a dirty guy. And John is rightly calling him out, saying, it's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife like that. How dare you do that? That is a sin before God. And, you know, Herod knows John is righteous. He knows John is right. And his wife Herodias is upset with John. And you can imagine, like, you know, she was married to the brother who, who wasn't going to be the ruler, but now she's married to the brother who is the ruler. Like, she is moving up in the world here. Things have gotten better for her. She doesn't want to hear somebody preaching that what she has done is wrong. And so she wants him dead. She wants him dead for this. But because 
Herod knows John. He knows John's character. He knows that John is righteous and holy and a man of God. John fear, or Herod fears John. And so sort of for John's protection, but also so Herod can kind of appease his wife, he has John arrested and imprisoned. And John is held there. But Herodias isn't satisfied with that. No, Herodias still wants him dead, and she's waiting for the time where she can get him. She's waiting for that opportune moment, and it comes. And it comes in the form of Herod's birthday. And Herod, at his birthday, has gathered all the important men from Galilee. All the upper class, the wealthy, are there. All the military commanders, they are there. All the government officials, they are there. And they're having a great time. I'm sure there's plenty of alcohol going around. Everyone's having you know, a good time enjoying themselves. And Herodias knows that this is the moment she can use. And she uses it in a despicable way. She sends her daughter in there to do a dance, to seduce the men, to get them aroused, to get them hot and bothered and not thinking as they normally would. Little wine, pretty girl dancing, all of a sudden they all lose their minds. Right? That's kind of a tale as old as time. You know, if a, if a man were to tell me he had never done something stupid for a woman he was attracted to, I'd call that man a liar. <clears throat> right? We've been there. We've done things we, we uh, normally wouldn't do. I see this all the time as a teacher. You know, it's a, a kid won't get up and sharpen his own pencil. He's sitting there writing with a little nub, but the girl next to him, you know, gives him the elbow, a little smile. He'll hop right up, go sharpen her pencil. Right? We, I, I know a guy... He's just a guy who's cheap. He's cheap. He never wants to pay for anything. Like, you drive him everywhere. He never gives you gas money. Well, one day, this guy is saying there's a girl talking to, to him and his friends. And keep in mind, his friends have been driving him around all summer long. He hasn't paid them one thing. He hasn't bought them a meal, nothing. This girl's like, oh, I'd really like to go with you guys, but, you know, I don't have gas money. This kid goes and asks his mom for 20 bucks and brings it back and gives it to this girl in front of all his friends. What? Dude, you haven't paid me anything. I've been driving you around all summer. Right? This is a dirty move, but it's a move that works. And it's the move that Herodias is going to use here with her own daughter. This is Herod's stepdaughter, but it's also his niece. Like, think of that. This is... This is not a good situation. This is dirty. It's disgusting. It's dishonoring. And it works. And she gets Herod. And Herod, is he has been you know, pleased with this dance. And so he wants to do something to impress the girl now. And he's like, I'll give you whatever it is you want. What is it that you want? Up to half my kingdom. It's yours. The girl at this point doesn't really know why her mom has sent her in here. So she runs out to mom. What is it? What is it that I've been doing all this for? What is it we want? And mom says, the head of John the Baptist. Go in there and ask for it. Because Herodias knows. She has Herod right where she wants him. The plan has unfolded perfectly. Right? He is there in front of all those important men and he has made an oath that he'll give her anything up to half the kingdom. She knows he's not going to back out now. 
So she sends the daughter back in, and the daughter says, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And it says Herod's sorry, but he's not sorry enough. Right? His lust has gotten in the way of his thinking, and now his pride is getting in the way of his thinking because he will not back down and do the right thing. He says, I can't look like a man who goes back on his word in front of all these people. I can't do it. And so as sorry as he is for what he said, he goes through with it anyway. And he sends the executioner down. He says, bring the head of John the Baptist back on the platter. And he does. That's exactly what happens. John the Baptist is killed because Herod's lust got in the way, his pride got in the way. He's a man who could not control either of those. He can't even control his own household. He can't rule over it. And yet, he has the power to rule over John's life and end it and have his head brought back on that platter. That's not the ending we expect for John the Baptist. It is not. If John, wasn't, if John was truly the greatest, shouldn't this story have ended with Herod repenting and realizing, yes, John, you're right. I need to repent of my sin. I need to worship God. If John was the greatest, you would expect that to happen, and then you would expect him to say, hey, John, why don't you be my advisor and come along so that I can rule justly and fairly like a governor who God has, has allowed to be over the people to do, right? God puts government in place for the protection of people. That's what they're supposed to do. It's not what they always do, obviously, but that's why they're supposed to be there. And if John was the greatest, isn't that how this story should go? But that's not how the story went at all. It's a crazy story. I mean, did you hear? Herod even liked hearing John preach. Even though John is preaching against what Herod is doing, Herod still enjoys. It pleases Herod to hear him preach. It's very strange. It says Herod was perplexed by him. Now, the story doesn't add up to us. We look at that and we go, no, that's not the right ending. The ending must have been written wrong. Something else had to happen. It had to go better than that, right? Think of how dishonored John's body is now. His head is now at the party on a platter. Isn't that disgusting? Isn't that disturbing? Back in the early 90s, the the United States had a heavy military presence in Somalia. If you've seen Black Hawk Down, you, you know the general story. But before the events of that, even a helicopter had been shot down and the pilots killed. And afterwards, they paraded the pilots through the street, their bodies. They dismembered their bodies and they decapitated them and they mockingly played a little game of soccer in the streets with their heads. And when I heard that, I was disgusted by it. So those are my countrymen. They were there to try and make sure that genocide didn't occur during the Civil War. They risk their lives for that. They do not, you know, they they know their lives are on the line, but they don't deserve to be treated like that in death. How dishonoring was that? It was sickening. And, you know, they became the spectacle for the crowd. 
And that's what John has become. He's become a spectacle for the crowd. A trophy brought to the victor. His head on a platter. I have to tell you, if that's the whole picture that we have, then man, what a wasted life. And what a wasted death. That would be terrible if that was the whole picture. But thankfully, that's not the whole picture. You see, the, the whole picture is that there's a heavenly view too. There's not just an earthly view. From an earthly perspective, we can look at that and we can say, man, that is terrible, it's dishonoring, it's sickening. That's not the ending John should have gotten. And again, from the earthly perspective, that would be the right way of looking at that. But the whole picture, to really have the whole picture, involves a heavenly perspective as well. In fact, it can only be seen by those who have a heavenly perspective. In Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to John the Apostle now, not John the Baptist. He's speaking to John the Apostle in a vision, and he tells him to write to the church of Smyrna. This would be Revelation 2, 8-11, if you'd like to look it up now or later. But he said, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. In the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Do you hear the heavenly perspective there? It's so different than the earthly one. It starts off, Jesus is telling them, I know your poverty. From an earthly perspective, the church in Smyrna is poor. These guys cannot afford to live. They are dirt poor. They are destitute. But Jesus gives them that heavenly perspective. He says, but you're rich. Because their faith was in Him. From an earthly perspective, what Jesus has told them is terrible news. He says, you are about to be thrown into prison. Satan is going to have you guys arrested and you are going to have tribulation. That's not a good message most of the time, right? From an earthly perspective, that's a terrible thing to hear. No, I, I'm going to have tribulation? And the, the, the release from the tribulation, he's telling him it's going to be 10 days, right? Which is him saying it's, it's only going to be for a short period. Not necessarily literal 10 days. But what is the release from the tribulation? It's not freedom to walk out of the prison. He tells them to be faithful unto death. And then he gives you that heavenly perspective. He says, I will give you the crown of life. And you will not have to fear the second death. The second death that is coming for those whose faith is not in Jesus. Who instead of receiving that eternal reward of the crown of life will receive judgment and wrath. He says, you don't have to worry about that. I will give you eternal life. That's the heavenly perspective, and that's the perspective we have to have as we read this passage 
And really, as we read the whole New Testament, and even as we view our own lives. I know uh, Joey gave Paul, Apostle of Christ, a C+. I'm going to take this opportunity to say I thought it was much better than that. <clears throat> he wasn't wrong. It is a slow movie, but I love slow movies. We call them slow burners, like my top five full of slow burners, right? They're, they're just slowly plodding along, and then at the end, there's the big like emotional finish. I love that kind of movie. So to me, the movie was much better than a C+. <clears throat> but at the end of the movie, my favorite scene happens, and it's, uh, you know, they, they take a little bit of, of license to have uh, Paul, he's um, with Luke, and he's dictating to Luke the letter of Second Timothy. And as he's doing that, that's the audio, the visual is him preparing to be executed. He's walking out to the place he will be beheaded. And it's 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, through 8, and it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. You see, Paul wasn't backing down in that moment because he had that heavenly perspective. He was in jail a long time, and in Rome, you could recant your beliefs and make a sacrifice to the Roman gods, and they would let you go. Paul has that opportunity, but he never takes it. Instead, he is faithful to the end because he has that heavenly perspective. He is looking at the crown of righteousness that will never be able to be taken from him. He is looking at his eternal reward. And we can take that and we can look at John the Baptist and say the same thing. John could have backed out. He had plenty of chances. Herod liked to hear him preach. At some point, he could have said to Herod, Herod, you know what? It's really not that big a deal. It's not. You know, the two of you are happy together. Do what makes you happy. It's okay. Go ahead. He could have backed off what he said. But he never did. He knew his call. He knew where his reward was. And he stayed faithful till the end. And because of that, John the Baptist received the crown of life. He received the eternal reward that can never be taken from him. So his life and his death were not a waste at all. They were an investment into something that was better. Now I'm going to go ahead and say that if Jesus said you were the greatest amongst men born of women, that your reward in heaven is going to be pretty great. I don't think there's any disappointment there. Right? He walked in. That crown was big that he was given. It's a wonderful thing. That's the perspective he had to have, and it's the perspective we have to have. We should take great courage and great encouragement in this. Because as you know, life is not going to go how you expect it to go. It's not. Anybody in here where they thought they would be when they were 15 or 18 even? I know I'm not, right? I'm not there. 18, you ask me, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to make $500,000 a year, right? That's my goal. That's what I'm going to do. 
Sarah is having a medical procedure done on her uh, kidneys. And this doctor is sitting there telling us about this job that he didn't get in Colorado, but just about how much he makes as a doctor and, you know, how even in retirement he'll make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm sitting there going, man, I'm not going to see that much money. Because that wasn't my call. My call wasn't to become a doctor. It was to go into ministry. And if I looked at things from an earthly perspective, I could get real discouraged real quick. You know, my, my friends in college, many of them went on to, there were several, they went on to med, med school or veterinary school. And, you know, these were the guys I studied with. And um, yeah, I, I could get real discouraged because I could focus on those earthly things. Or I could focus on the fact that God has called me to this. And that there is a reward in this that is much better than any money I ever could have made. And whatever the situation is you are in, it is, could be real easy for you to get discouraged if you're just to look at things from an earthly perspective. To look at those missed opportunities or those failures, whether they were personal or business, however those failures came, you could look at those and get depressed about them very quickly. But before you get there, I want you to take a look at things from a heavenly perspective and not the earthly one. Because whatever path you have been on to this point has brought you here. You are now sitting in these pews in a church with the people of God, hearing God's word preached, hearing the gospel preached. However it is that God has worked in your life to get you here, you are here. And that is a beautiful place to be that's a wonderful place to be if you've not yet repented of your sins and you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus I want to encourage you to do so now because the only real distinction with God the only thing that matters with God is not how much money you've made it's not the job you had it's not how pretty you are none of that what God is looking at is Is your faith in my Son, who I sent to you for the forgiveness of your sins? Is that where your faith is, or is it not? Because that's what God is looking at. And you're here now, again, whatever path has brought you here with a choice. You can choose to be like Herod, and you can choose to live for the passing pleasures of this world, which will fade away. And one day... Be no more. Or you can be like John, who had that heavenly, eternal perspective. And that was the reward he valued. He valued eternal glory more than earthly pleasures. He did not want man's praise, he wanted God's praise. He was obedient to God to the very end. You can be like John. And at the end, no matter what you missed out on here, it won't matter because you will receive the crown of life at the end. For my brothers and my sisters here whose faith is already in Jesus, first of all, let me start with you are forgiven. That is a beautiful thing. And it is okay that your life has not turned out how you thought it would turn out. It is okay. That is fine. We aren't living this life for the sake of this life. We are living this life for the sake of the next life. 
and what we will receive there and how we will get to glorify God and be in his presence forever and enjoy that. When you start to get discouraged, I want you to turn your eyes and focus on Jesus. Because even John the Baptist got discouraged. It wasn't in Mark, but it is in Matthew. And in Matthew 11, John the Baptist, while he's in prison, starts to get discouraged. And he sends his his disciples to Jesus, and he's asking the question, he says, go, he wants them to ask, are you the one we've been waiting for, or should we wait for someone else? Think about that, John, his whole life has been given to preparing the way for Jesus, and here he is, and he needs that encouragement. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus responds like this. He says, tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, good news is preached to the poor, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, he is telling John the Baptist, I'm him. I'm fulfilling all of these things he's saying are prophecies that would be fulfilled by the Messiah. He's saying, I'm him, John. John needed that reassurance. And if you are in a place now that needs, where you need reassurance, and at some point in your life, I guarantee you, you will be in a place where you need reassurance, I want to reassure you now. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He died on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven. He rose again from the dead on the third day. He conquered death. It has no power over us anymore. Be encouraged by that. Have you been abandoned in your life? Keep your focus on Jesus. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. Have you lost loved ones whose faith was in Jesus, but the healing never came? Take encouragement because they are with Jesus now. Keep looking to Him. Maybe that uncertainty is now. You have someone who you love, and they are sick, and they are facing severe circumstances where they may not make it to the end alive. Take encouragement because in Jesus they have eternal life. You will be with them again, with Him. Is your own body breaking down? Do you have ailments you can't seem to get rid of? And it's beating you down and it's wearing you down. Look to Jesus. Because when this life is done, when this body is done away with, you will receive a perfect body, one that does not break down, it does not get sick, there are no aches and pains, they are gone. You have a perfect one. You feel as though you're under attack from the enemy right now? Look to Jesus. Jesus defeated the enemy. Is the world too much for you? Is it too evil? Is there too much sadness and destruction? Is it oppressing you? Look to Jesus because He overcame the world. Be focused on Him. And should you ever find yourself in John the Baptist's shoes, where you are being persecuted and you face martyrdom for the sake of righteousness, keep your eyes on Jesus and you will be rewarded 
with the crown of life. Be encouraged by that. That in Jesus we have everything we need. Because in this life, things are not always going to end up how you planned them. You are not guaranteed the ending that you want. Nobody would have written that ending for John. You look at that and say he deserves so much better. But do not be discouraged by that. Instead, be encouraged because no matter what our end on earth is, our eternity will be with Jesus. And that is the perfect ending. 